Welcome to another episode of In My Own Words. I'm your host, Corey Timms, and today I'm really excited to have my friend, my sister, Chicago City Clerk, Anna Valencia. Anna, thanks for joining today. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here with my friend uh, to talk all the things. Okay. So, and I'm so excited that you have this platform. Thank you. Thank what you. an amazing <laughs> way to start 2023. 2023 is my Jordan year, so I, I figured that this is going to be a good year, new opportunities, new start, and I think that this podcast is a great way to be able to um, really sit down with leaders that I respect, that have been impactful and influential on me, to really talk about their stories. And so... Before we get started, <clears throat> I'd be remiss if I didn't give you your flowers since you are, oh, are <laughs> sitting, you. sitting in front of me um, in telling how we met. So oh, we're going to get real deep real are we, fast. Are we going to get real deep? Real well, deep. before you start, I want to say for 23, my word for 23 uh-huh. is joy. Okay. Joy in every aspect of my life, professionally, personal, spiritually. And so I'm very excited because you are a joy maker. You're one of my people that bring me joy and elevate me. So thank you for starting out my 23 with joy. Oh, thanks, sis. I appreciate that. (laughs) So for those that don't know, um, we met back in 2012. I was in grad school and I was contemplating whether I was going to apply for the City of Chicago Mayoral Fellowship. Um, And I I, I went ahead and applied. I was nervous as to whether or not I was going to even get in, right? I worked two jobs in undergrad, so my GPA wasn't the highest when I was in grad school. Thankfully, the fellowship didn't look at undergrad GPAs because <laughs> I, I had a 4.0 in my first grad school semester. Okay, okay. <laughs> but you were one of the folks that interviewed me, and even leaving out of the interview, I was like, I probably didn't get this. And um, I, got, I got the call of probably, I don't know, three or four weeks later that I, I got selected. And after I started, hmm. Maybe about a month in, I had some of the staff, um, as I was building relationships with some of the staff in the mayor's office, they were like, I don't know what kind of impression you made on her <laughs> because she came in this room and she fought for you. She whipped those votes. She <laughs> dared somebody to say that you are not going to get into this program. <laughs> so, and so I often credit you because I would not be where I am today without you giving me that opportunity and fighting for me. And I think that's so important for young leaders, particularly young leaders of color, that we continue to fight for each other. We continue to open the door for each other. We continue to show that it doesn't have to be one person in the room. You can allow and pull multiple people in the room and that in no way, shape or form impacts you or your ability to thrive or maneuver. And so I want to make sure that I say very publicly, thank you. For all oh, that you've done for me. Well, thank you, Corey. That is so sweet. And I didn't do anything but open a door. And I, you know, just to give some context around this fellowship for those who are listening, you know, when we were looking at this fellowship and resumes, you saw a lot of Princeton, Harvard, mm-hmm. Ivy League. And the reason why I didn't think I would get it. <laughs> and, and and that's not taking away from anyone who mm-hmm. goes to Ivy League. Like, you know, U of I repping here, I'm a public <laughs> public college kid. But what we also time sometimes miss is that we don't want the same of everyone in the room. Yeah. Like the same of everyone doesn't give you different perspectives, doesn't create that magic policy. You mm-hmm. need different perspectives, different backgrounds, shaping policy, different ways you look at the world. 
And when I remember sitting in that room, that conference room, that was like kind of one of the first times I was really challenging. I mean, I've always been someone that speaks up and <laughs> when I want something, I go for it. You, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in that moment, I didn't know, I, I didn't, I did know what I was fighting for, but in that moment, I was the first time I saw again, okay, we've got to do better. We can't yeah. just say you're from Harvard and Yale and Princeton and you get in automatically. Mm -hmm. We've got to look at the whole individual, you know, their whole resume, their interview. And you interviewed so well. And <laughs> that's why you're doing this podcast. You make people feel at ease. You're super smart. You're an executor. Um, and I knew that you were going to thrive. And even when you started that fellowship, we can talk a little bit about imposter syndrome yeah. that comes up. <laughs> Let's and, talk about it. And we can talk about it today as well. That comes up like, oh my gosh, do I belong here? Now I mm -hmm. got in. Now I ha how do I thrive? How do I make it here? Yeah. How do I stand out in the right way? Mm -hmm. So I'm so happy you're doing this because there is enough room for us at the table. And, you know, I love cheering you on when I see you do big things. And I know, you know the you, same goes from me. I know. You cheer me on. So <laughs> I'm excited for our young professionals to hear this podcast and know, like, we have the same insecurities. Mm -hmm. We have the same kind of challenges and barriers that a lot of people listening might have had. And so hopefully we can give them some great resources that helped us. Yeah. That's one of the things that I've loved about you is that you've been so intentional about making sure that we have a seat at the table. And I think that um, that's been an example that I've um, taken and executed. And as I build out and have mentees, I'm always saying the same thing. Like when they're like, can, can I do anything for you? I'm always like, open the door for somebody else. When you have the chance to give somebody else an opportunity or give them that exposure, make sure you do it. And, so, and not just a seat at the table, but power yes. at that table. <laughs> Which we will also talk about with you and your career. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. So before we get going, I like to do um, a round of icebreaker questions. Okay. Um, so you just... Oh, this is going to be at the end. You, hear the, the beginning? <laughs> you know the icebreaker questions were the toughest one for me to think about when you took a few questions. I'm like, okay. All the other ones I feel fine with. So you give me the first, first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Your first concert. This I cannot think of that far back. I will tell you my best concert. Okay. I feel like I know who it is, but keep going. So I hope the Beehive doesn't come after me first. Oh, it's not Beyonce. Okay. Listen, when I was first Beyonce, I was kind of skeptical. I was uh -huh. like, oh, I don't know if I. she's like all that hyped up. Yeah. My best friend Cameron Yost, who you know, was like loves Beyonce. I mean, she is part of the Beehive. Uh, so I, I, know. I decided to go to the concert with her. You know, just to be nice. Yeah. I show up. On the run tour, her and Jay-Z, oh my gosh, <laughs> fire, fire, so good, so incredible. My ne my uh, Gen Z nephew will be like, oh, Aunt Anna, you're so old, like, seriously, <laughs> but loved her concert. And that's one that sticks out as just, it was like raw, it was entertaining, mm -hmm. it was just, it was really fun. I would have been surprised if you said anybody other than Beyonce, because I, <laughs> I, I know you love Beyonce now. I'm so predictable, <laughs> yes, now I'm part of the Beehive, I know. What is um, – who's your favorite artist out right now? Um, well, Beyonce came out with that Fire album this summer. Well, she did. And she did. it came out right in a time that I had a big failure moment, which we'll talk about. Mm. And now turns out wasn't failure. It was exactly how God wanted to play out and a mm. lot of growth. But Break My Soul, my daughter and I sang that in the car driving around. <laughs> and she calls it Breaky Soul. <laughs> and that was really – that was amazing. And then – also, I'm a big faith-driven woman, mm -hmm. and I do prayer, meditation, and worship every morning. Mm -hmm. 
And one of the worship songs I really like by Maverick City Music mm. is Firm Foundation. Huge Maverick City fan. And the Firm Foundation, it's really about anchoring yourself and um, how God anchors you. And so when storms and wind blow, like you're stable. You can't be blown away. So huge into that as well. So I'm giving you some worship okay. and some more Beyonce. I got you. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite TV show on right now? So... I don't watch a ton of TV. Okay. <laughs> I can tell you a couple things I've liked watching though recently. Okay. Um, if anyone's watched Best Man Holiday, mm. Best Man Final Chapters yeah, was, it, really it was really good. Really good. <laughs> really good. We could do a show on just. Oh that. my gosh, that was so good. <laughs> so watch that over the holiday break. I'm also into The Crown. Okay. The Crown. I know. I'm. I'm not a huge like. I'm not a weirdo royal watcher or whatever. <laughs> but I thought just like the history of The Crown was like very interesting. Mm. Um, so I would say those two probably are the latest things I've watched. Okay. And then White Lotus. Everyone was talking about White Lotus. So I, I watched it. I have it. not seen it yet, but okay, I have heard of it. I was sick in December. I got strep throat twice in December, like lucky me. Ouch. So I binged things. And mm -hmm. White Lotus actually was pretty good. It was kind of worth the hype. Okay. Maybe I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, who's a leader that you look up to and why? Michelle Obama. Okay. Why? One, our birthdays are one day apart, so we're, Capricor we're Capricorn sisters. <laughs> um, I'm reading her second book, and after reading her first book, I felt so many similarities about um, how she grew up, you know, very first in her family to go to college, same as me, mm -hmm. um, you know, struggled with identity issues, imposter syndrome, um, blazing trails, and women and girls, something very important to her. But I just feel like she says what she means. Uh, she's unapologetic about who she is. Yeah. She's very consistent about her values, states her values, and lives out her values where her actions align with her words. And so – and very high integrity. And I mm -hmm. just – I find that very refreshing as a leader. And so um, she talks about her kitchen table and how important friendships are and having these authentic friendships of trust and vulnerability. And so I've been setting my kitchen table this year very mm -hmm. intentionally about who is in my space, who is in my – who gets my energy and time. Yes. So one day I'm manifesting that Michelle Obama sits at my kitchen table. <laughs> well, let, let's – you know, manifestation is real. So. Yes. <laughs> so yes. Last question is what's a mantra that you live by? So I have a new one that okay. I just wrote at the end of the year. It's lead with heart. Rooted firmly in faith and watch all that is impossible unfold. I love that. And one of the reasons I started this new mantra is that um, – and we know we're going to talk about this, but I, I ran for a statewide office mm -hmm. for almost two years mm -hmm. and I lost publicly. Mm -hmm. And And sometimes you get afraid of the unknown of what's next in life. And I did a lot of – self-reflection and a lot of, you know, looking inward and um, kind of putting myself back together. And I'm not so nervous about the unfolding any longer. Yeah. I think that the unfolding is what God, the beauty of, the, of what God is doing for you. Mm -hmm. So instead of being anxious about the future, I'm just more excited about it unfolding. And as long as I stay steady with who I am, my values, with God, my faith, and lead with my heart, which I tend to do in all things. Yeah, you know, all is possible. So 
That's my new mantra. And I need to adopt that mantra. (laughs) Create your own. (laughs) So now let's let's get into the meat of the interview, which I'm really excited about. Uh, First question is, and we've had I don't know tons of conversations about family and upbringing. Um, I know your family is a huge anchor for you. Um, Papa Joe is still a union painter. Uh, You grew up in Granite City. And your mom is a, she did after school programs. So talk to me about how your parents helped shape one, who you are, and then ultimately your journey into public service. So my parents, I always tell them, they they always are very humble when I praise them, especially when I was on the campaign trail, about just like how they set the foundation and mm-hmm. how I am so privileged to have both my parents in my life and to grow up in a household that was full of love. And I can't remember a time that they weren't there for me mm-hmm. and gave me my set of values that really have sustained me in this life journey. Yeah. And so, yeah, I grew up uh, five hours south of Chicago, Granite City. It's a very blue-collar town, steel factory. Um, my grandfather actually worked in the steel factory, had about eighth-grade education. My grandmother um, came from Czechoslovakia and was a baker. My mm-hmm. grandfather's family from Mexico. And my dad ended up going into the trade. So he was a union painter for 37 years, just retired oh. in May. So last Congra- May. Congrats, Papa Joe. Yes, he deserves <laughs> it. He's having a hard time adjusting, I think, him and mom. <laughs> and my mom worked with a nonprofit for over 20 years. And she actually, um, at 60, lost her job because of the budget crisis here mm-hmm. in Illinois. And seeing her go through all of that. Um, was really tough, but also a lot of lessons learned that she shared with me. But my parents from an early age really pressed um, the need to go to college, to have an education. Yeah. Um, my dad always would tell us too, like your integrity and character of everything. Mm-hmm. And it's the one thing in life that people cannot take from you. And so you have to be careful about making sure, again, your actions align with your words. And so I think from um, very early on, I, I recognized that need to go to school. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know how I was going to get to college, but mm-hmm. I know that I needed to get there. And my parents also, that's where my faith comes from. Every Sunday we went to church and I was like, oh, church again. <laughs> but, you know, we, you know, we prayed at dinner and my dad was very open about, you know, his faith journey and past mistakes he had made so that my sister and I knew that it was okay if you made mistakes or any failures because God still loved you mm-hmm. and that they still loved us. And um, they gave everything. They sacrificed their dreams and goals for my my sister and I to have the life that we have now and to get to school. I mean, my dad said he was going to sell a kidney to get to college. Um, he didn't have to. For but... the record, I believe that Papa Joe would have <laughs> sold a kidney. <laughs> seriously, seriously. I mean, they... They sacrificed, and I, I didn't realize until I got older what it meant, you know, for my dad would work side jobs. So he'd, like, work all day, go to side jobs mm-hmm. that we could have braces. And he actually had a kidney transplant um, in 2019. Mm-hmm. And even during his kidney transplant, when he was on dialysis for three years, he would wake up at 6 a.m., go in at 7, do his dialysis, go in at 7, come home at noon, do a dialysis again work till three, come home again, do dialysis, and then again at night. Every day wow. for three years, did not complain, did not miss work. Mm-hmm. That's what he did to make sure that his family was taken care of. And to me, that's where I get my hard work ethic yeah. and making sure that I show up for family 
and that I am anchored in community and they do not let my head ever, ever <laughs> like they ground me. I remember they came to my swearing in um, when I first became clerk and they didn't really know what it meant to be the city clerk. They mm-hmm. didn't really understand politics because they weren't involved ever. And they show up and, you know, Cardinal Supich is there and they're like, they're just like, what? They didn't understand until that moment I was taking the oath that like, wow, their daughter did okay. (laughs) You did better than okay. (laughs) So speaking of hard work ethic, um, let's talk about your career, right? You have had a storied career in government and politics, right? You've ran campaigns. You've um, served in mayoral administrations. I want to say you were the youngest director of uh, legislative affairs. Yes, and second woman to ever do that. First woman of color. Come on. (laughs) Yep. Just saying it. Just adding. (laughs) And 183 years, 185 years of the history of Chicago. Come on. (laughs) And now you are uh, principal. Now you are city clerk of Chicago. Talk to me about how you got your start in politics. Well, we were talking about this a little bit earlier about I think people see you and they see you what you look like now and they're like, oh, they've got it together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's effortless. They have this perfect life. And it doesn't start that way at all. At all. <laughs> at all. Like you really have to like put in the time. And I always tell young people this. You can't skip the process and just go from, oh, I'm graduating college. I'm just going to be like, you know, city clerk the next day. It just, and, and you really don't want to. You don't right? want like, to. No. There's the, so much the growth dash, in between. I saw I saw a, a video on Instagram recently where they talked about the dash in between being so important. That's where so much life and experience happen in that dash between the start and, you know, when you've reached your epitome of where you want to be. Right. And so I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just No, you're not. Sure. Those stories in between that experience helps you craft better legislation, better yeah. policies helps you understand it helps you lead people better because mm-hmm. you can empathize with them. So I started out very early on. Um, the importance of internships is really important. And the, going into my senior year of college, I had an opportunity to work on a local judges race. And it was down in my home county. And I did everything from walking door to door to like fundraising to mailing out letters, whatever was needed, arranging parades, whatever we had to do. And I, w- I went back to college and I-, I loved that experience. I didn't even know like working on a campaign was something people get paid for. It was mm-hmm. like a thing you did. And I was going to go to law school. So I took the LSAT and I think I was going to go to law school because my dad thought either being a doctor or a lawyer meant success yeah. because money. And growing up in Granite City, you didn't see a lot of people go away to college. All you saw was like the people with the big houses and swimming pools mm-hmm. were like usually a lawyer <laughs> or a doctor. <laughs> so... That's what I thought I wanted to do. And then I, I got to mid-year and I took the LSAT and I was about to apply and I just – I didn't want to go. And so that year, senior year of college, I also then I was going to study abroad. I studied abroad in Spain. So I was going to actually go back abroad and teach English abroad. Mm-hmm. So about January, I got my certification to do that. I never knew that. Lee. Yeah. So if people are freaking out and you're a senior in college, it's okay to not have it all figured out mm-hmm. because – I'm a senior in college at this time, and I had two different ideas for a career, and it's January, and I'm going to graduate in May. Then in April, I got an interview um, from that internship. The My campaign manager work, was then working for Barack Obama, the U.S. senator, and he said, hey, you know, my boss is going to run for president. Why don't you interview to be an organizer? So I went to the interview. I bought my first express um, <laughs> suit from Express, which is still around. Mm-hmm. 
And I went and it was a Starbucks and I was so nervous. I interviewed and I didn't get it. So again, like there's my first, I didn't get what I wanted mm -hmm. and I had no idea what I was going to do. But then a friend of mine sent my resume to Virginia and the state party called me. They have elections and off cycle and said, hey, do you want to be an organizer? I'm like, I don't know what that means, but does it pay? They said, yes. So two weeks after college, I bought a car, moved across country, lived in volunteer housing, made $1,800 a month, <laughs> couldn't even probably pay my car insurance or my student loans, and knocked doors seven days a week. I had no days off and had to knock in this western part of Virginia where they would call you um, baby killer because mm -hmm. they were like, you know, I was Democrat and they had Confederate flags on their houses. Mm -hmm. So that was fun. Uh, but it really shaped me into understanding, well, first, hard work, but second, this whole other world of politics I had no idea. And then from there, I went to Michigan and was a field director at 23 and managed a 13-person field staff. And That's amazing. He's now the U.S. Senator of Michigan, but I was on his first campaign for Congress and came back to Illinois and worked for Congressman Mike Quigley on his special election then ended up with the Senate Democrats. And at, um, I think I was 25, and they asked me to be the political director or the deputy political director for the Senate Democrats, where I was in charge of all the state Senate races outside of Chicago and to hold on the majority during a census year and the remap, which was really scary. I could imagine. Ooh, and I worked with all men, all white men. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I was very intimidated because I was 25. Mm -hmm. and um, But I put in the work... Uh, and that's after that cycle is when I moved to Chicago and worked for Rahm. I was his field director at 26. And again, everyone was older than me at the table. But you just keep building an experience and and networking and and God places you in, in, in the right spot at the right time. Yeah. I'm a real big believer. And then you got to show up and do the rest. Mm -hmm. So let, let's fast forward a little, right? 2016 was a big year for you. In March of that year, the mayor tapped you to be the director of legislative council and government affairs, basically, which is a huge role, right? And you're basically responsible for shepherding his legislative agenda at the city, state, federal levels, um, which is a huge task in itself, right? And a lot of personalities, let me say. To and know. I was 29, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, it's a multi-pronged question. One, talk to me about like stepping into that role. And you just say you're 29, right? Young, Latina, you're stepping into spaces that um, aren't always representative of folks that look like you and I. And so we- And weren't know, really built for us either. Exactly. And I know it's something I still struggle with and have to you know, give myself a pep talk from time to time, that imposter syndrome of it's very easy to go into a space and kind of like withdraw because of the experience that are at the table or, you know, the presumed power that's sitting at the table. And so talk to me about stepping into that role and how you kind of were able to navigate it confidently being so young in a space that oftentimes is male dominated and you have to navigate not only, you know, the personalities of uh, the administration, but you also have to navigate every elected official at every level of government. <laughs> oh, yes. Um that was the worst job I've ever had. <laughs> it was the hardest. And the, it was it was hard because a couple of reasons. So right before I came back to work for that administration, I got an opportunity to run Senator Durbin's U.S. Senate seat. And it I was 28 and I had a $10 million budget. And that was a huge job, 30 people. Mm -hmm. And 
something that Durbin did for me that helped my confidence, and I hope I can do this for others moving forward, but he gave me room to lead. He trusted my judgment on a couple key hires. And when I was in a room once, I put together the whole strategy for this Democratic coordinated campaign. Yeah. And I had to meet with the governor, with the Speaker of the House, with the Senate president and Senator Durbin in a closed meeting. And everyone brought one staffer and I was the only woman in the room. And thankfully, Ron Holmes was with me. So I had one other person of color. <laughs> and the best thing that Senator Durbin did was when it was time to leave the meeting, he said, Anna, Lead the meeting. Like, go ahead. I love that. And he empowered me. And I don't think he realized what he did at the moment. He showed that I was a leader and that he trusted me. And and he showed that he had confidence in me mm -hmm. in that meeting, which then gave me confidence yeah. to say, oh, I do belong at this table. Mm -hmm. So when I showed up for the ledge director, I still, I still felt more empowered. I had just came off this big win of the race. And, you know, I felt this time around I could use my voice. And I had some allies there that helped raise my voice and, and empower me and second me like, oh, Anna has a great point or mm -hmm. we should listen to Anna. Mm -hmm. And having those allies are really important. And then those were some men allies that, yeah. that validated me. Mm -hmm. And um, that helped. But what was really hard at that time was there was so much legislation coming in. It was kind of a tumultuous time. Um, the 2016 campaign was happening. And so I had to put together like ride share and house share ordinances. Um, we've never really regulated this technology before, so yeah. I had to do that. And then um, they were trying to do um, a billion-dollar project on the red and purple line modernization that we had to get aligned up before President Obama left mm -hmm. in time. And so there were just so many – the pensions. We had to override a Republican governor. And with uh, Victoria Watkins, another wonderful female that I worked <laughs> with, we were in our heels running over the Capitol trying to override him. We were the first people to ever override that governor for our pension bill, which is great. And when CPS was like going into flames, we had to pass an education bill. So there was a lot of great wins, but it was really, really hard. It was very testing of your ability to bring it all in, to prioritize, to lead. But thank God I had some amazing allies there that yeah. helped me shine. Okay. L later that same year, you um, you were tapped to be city clerk of Chicago. Yes. And um, the former city clerk went on to be the Illinois comptroller. And, there, you know, it was very public, right? There was this um, process that was going on and people were throwing the name in the hats to be appointed as city clerk. Talk to me about... One, your process, and two, what initially got you interested in being city clerk? Well, first of all, I wasn't interested. <laughs> I was kind of leading the process. <laughs> I was like trying to find the names, which is kind of ironic. Yeah. And it was actually a friend of mine um, who was in my office that day, and he's like, why don't you think about this? You'd mm. be great. And I went home that night and I talked to Riyadh, and I'm like, and he'll – He'll kill me for saying this. He's like, never say this publicly ever again. But I, I did ask. I was like, am I even qualified? <laughs> He's like, of course. Have you seen the other people that have no qualifications <laughs> throwing their name in? It's like, don't ever say that again. Of course you're qualified to yeah. do this. Of course. you Like, look at all the other things you've done. But that's something that people like, you know, people like people of color and women and, you know, you grow up low income or middle class, you sometimes don't believe you do belong there. Mm -hmm. And I had that moment. And so what really fired me up was that in 2016, Hillary Clinton lost as well. Yeah. And Trump was coming into office. 
And there was a wave of women that were mad as hell and were going to step up into leadership positions. And Riyadh said, you push women all the time. You're pushing them to lead and Mm -hmm. you need to do it yourself. And so that's really what prompted me to raise my hand. And then I did raise my hand and then I did get picked and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing now? (laughs) And I have loved this job. I have loved public service. I have loved the privilege and opportunity of the platform that I was able to build with so many community members and organizations and my team. I love that I've been intentional about my hiring and Mm -hmm. have had so many diverse talent and women that have been able to feed into and build up and then they've gone on to do other great things. And I love that I've learned how to lead authentically to me. Because I have worked for so many men that at first when I came into office, I was so shell-shocked about leadership because I was trying to lead like the men that I saw. And it took some time and some therapy and some great coaches (laughs) and friends to help me develop my own leadership style that was authentic to me. Mm -hmm. And so this has been one of the best jobs I've ever had. Perfect. So one of the things that you you talked about that kind of fired you up to throw your name in the hat was Hillary Clinton's loss. And so often we hear about um, these Instagrammable moments, right? You, you hear about the successes and the accolades, but you don't always hear about um, the failures and the struggles, right? And you're coming off of, uh, as you said earlier, a very public loss um, going for Secretary of State. Um, and you had to, you only had a split second to be able to, you know, bounce back and then jump right back into re-election mode Ooh, for, was the time. for city clerk, you know? So one, how did you stay motivated during that time? And, you know, it's, especially it being public and, you know, of course the whisper campaigns and all of that, the people like to say and all, and, you know, all of that. So how did you stay, um, motivated and, and ultimately what made you decide to hop back in? Well, before I answer that question, one thing I want to plug because my team will yell at me if I don't. When I became clerk, this is also kind of a a failure and then stepping back up, City Key program. Yeah. That was also very exciting to do my first year because when Trump came in, there were so many undocumented communities, immigrant communities, and, and just other marginalized communities that were scared about what was going to happen. And so creating the City Key, which is a government ID, and it's a four-on-one. It's a government ID, a library card, transit card, prescription discount card, and it's free. Mm-hmm. You go to shycityclerk.com <laughs> to get one. But one of the things that was ha- the hardest about that and also a-, a learning moment for me is that not everyone in city council was excited about it and mm-hmm. thought it was only for some communities, not others. Yeah. And I remember going to my first budget hearing, my first year in office. And again, I'm like 30 years old. And it was a four-hour budget hearing. I think you were there. I, I, was there. I, I remember. <laughs> you were there. And it was so intense and the questioning was so intense. And there was this fracture between the Latino caucus and the black caucus about what it meant. And it was really disheartening to see. Um, but we stayed the course. Mm-hmm. We did the program anyway. And I, and I left budget and went and cried at home. not going to lie. <laughs> um, but we picked ourselves up and we were like, we're going to get this right because the communities are counting on us. And they, they want it and they helped us build it. And when we launched it, we had 400 people show up the first day. Mm-hmm. And it's been such a success the last four years. In fact, those aldermen that voted against it and didn't want it stood up on the floor asking for more money and saying how much – 
it's a great program. Yeah. And so I just want to also put that lesson in for those listening is that even though do what's right and what feels right mm-hmm. and what what you should be doing and why you're there, even against the political pressures or the haters, because if as long as you're doing what's right and for the good of others, it's going to work out. And it may be a longer process and you may not see the fruits of that for years to come, yeah. but just stay stay towards that. And that's what I'll say about this race too. When I lost, um, it was heartbreak. It was like, you know, I, I don't, you know, one runs to lose. Right. Um, but I also had the best time doing it and, and no regrets. I'm so happy that I did it. And to those listening, you have to take those big risks for the big rewards. And you also take big risks to put yourself out and out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. for that growth. I had so much growth and learning. And I had so many new people that I met that in some really exciting moments, like Tammy, Senator Tammy Duckworth endorsed me and doing a rally yeah. together with so many which women, was huge. which was huge. And voting with Secretary White, the first time he ever early voted in 60 years. And mm-hmm. we voted on his birthday together. And and this sometimes took this photo where I'm in the booth and I have high heels and my pink suit on and he has like tie. And it's just, it's really cool to see like the difference. Yeah. And so I was disappointed. I felt like I let people down. I felt like maybe I w- could have, should have. That's when it happens, the attack you. But, you know, going kind of um, into a reflective mode, finding gratitude, yeah. um, taking some time to think about, you know, where God wanted to place me. And so I felt like I wasn't done with public service. I felt like it, it's not about the title. It's about the work. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was always about the work and helping others, maybe at a larger scale than just citywide. And so I picked myself back up. And it's really humbling to do fundraising calls again after you just asked for people to help you raise $2 million. <laughs> and then you got to ask them again to raise for city clerk. But you know what I found was that people were so generous. Yeah. And they were so happy that I was running again. And 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 hopeful. And there was this young Latina that I met from Highland Park, Stephanie mm-hmm. Diaz, who's 16. And she wrote me this beautiful letter about what it meant for me to be on st- that stage, on that platform, to see me running for statewide office and yeah. how it inspired her to get involved in her local politics. And now she's part of Students Demand Action. And she went down to Springfield for the assault ban weapon and spoke out about that. She went to DC and spoke out about that. And for me, it's all worth it. Yeah. It's worth it for the Stephanies, for the Corys, um, for my daughter to see me be brave and know that failure did not break me mm-hmm. because I told myself that this campaign and political stuff will not break me. It will not break my marriage and that as much as I love to do it, you know, I have to make sure I take care of myself, which I have. Yeah. So I'm reclaiming my time <laughs> and my joy and I am connecting with friends and family I haven't seen in a long time. Yeah. I'm, you know, putting my efforts into things that energize me. I was with Central Romero yesterday doing a coat drive for the new arrivals coming in. I did this Women of Worth event for um, women who have been helping the new migrants to make sure they're taking care of themselves mm-hmm. and talking about self-care and mental health and um and so I'm really excited. I'm going to launch my own podcast, which you can come. Okay. <laughs> about resilience. I look forward to being invited. <laughs> yes, you can. So, you know, I hope that people take those big risks. And I hope people saw me doing this as not a deterrence not to get in, but mm-hmm. 
go into the arena yeah. and and fight for that space. And even if you don't win the first time, doesn't mean that you're not going to be ready for the next time that yeah. comes. You know, it's so crazy. Um, we were just talking about um, Stephanie Diaz, right? And I think we are navigating our lives and our careers and we don't even always see how many people are watching. Yes. And I have so many people that come up to me and they're like, Corey, we're watching you. We, You're inspiring us. And I'm just like, I'm just trying to figure it out, right? <laughs> you're <laughs> like, like, what? <laughs> but I think that um, people recognize authentic leadership. They recognize people that um, have really grinded and hustled um, and put in the work um, and when they see folks like you or folks like me that are we're making moves and we're doing all of these things, it is inspiring for for those folks coming coming behind it. So when I have conversations around, which is actually going to lead into my next question about what advice would you give to somebody that's younger? I think to your point that you just made, taking the risk and stepping into the rooms, even in those moments where you feel like, you know, you have a little bit of imposter syndrome or you have some doubts about yourself because your voice is so critical. And when you're stepping in, into these spaces that aren't reflective of Chicago or Illinois more broadly, um, don't always have people of color sitting at the table, your voice is so important because you're not only just speaking for you and your experiences, but you're speaking for communities across the city, communities across the state. And so what advice would you give to um, young folks that are interested in public office that may be a little nervous, may, may even, you know, um, want to run for office, elected office one day? Um, what advice would you give to them? Well, my first advice is, Find your own hype squad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Find your people. Because when you're ready to go into the arena, you're kind of going into battle. Mm -hmm. And so you need to have a clear understanding of, like, who you are and your values and what matters to you. And don't compromise those. You know, hold on to it. It's not worth winning an election if you have to compromise your values. Absolutely. And I'm really proud of myself that I can look myself in the mirror and be proud of what I did and the campaign I ran. And I also think like having people like you're an encourager, you know, and I have so many women in my life that are encouragers that on tough days would send me a text message, would call what, you know, we've done dinners, coffees to like build you up. Yeah. Like you want to, you know, you can't always believe your hype, but you mm -hmm. can't always believe the haters either. Yeah. You just got to, uh, it's a middle ground. So my advice first is find your people because that will help you in those seasons that are rough, where the storms are happening, the self-doubt's happening, um, the feeling like you don't belong is happening because those seasons will pass and they will and, – and, and things will get better and we don't always believe it, but it will. Mm -hmm. it, time heals so much. Um, but as young people, sometimes we want things right now and you really have to – you have to one – Find that group that's going to keep you grounded to take those big risks, but also um, stay grounded in, in gratitude for the present. I think for a lot of my life, I hustled hard. I hustled yeah. hard and I put blinders on. <laughs> and Same. I even to the extent of my own family. I remember yeah. Riyadh when I was early on in the clerk race, um, he came, we were talking and he's like, my husband, and he's like, look, you give everything to everyone else. And when you come home, there's nothing left for me. Yeah. Like he was getting the worst of me instead of the best of me. And that yeah. is someone 
you know, I love and my daughter is someone I love. And so they should be getting the best of me, not just the whole other world. Mm -hmm. So instead of saving the whole world, which I sometimes think I have to do, because <laughs> sometimes I have this complex of like, I am not enough. So therefore, I'm not doing enough for my friends. I'm not doing enough for my family. I'm not doing enough for my team at the office, I, you know. And then when you do that, you stretch yourself so thin that you burn out mm -hmm. or you're exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to – you have to now as a young person get your priorities straight and realize that you might not be able to do everything and you don't have to start – you don't have to go straight big. Maybe mm -hmm. start, you know, small. Michelle Obama said this in her book, like sometimes it's right in your lap. And starting small has those large ripple effects. Yeah. So just don't overwhelm yourself and start small. And my last piece of advice is – Sometimes as young people and from diverse communities, we don't always see people that look like us in these powerful places. Mm -hmm. So if you see someone that inspires you, um, you know, you're speaking at an event or maybe on this podcast, reach out. Yeah. Reach out and ask them, hey, could I get coffee? Could I do a 15-minute call, like just a phone call with you or Zoom? And nine out of 10 times are going to say yes, because someone else did that for us. Yeah. And they're going to pay it forward. That was one of the first things you told me when I was a fellow in the mayor's office was that ask them for coffee. Nine times out of 10 times, they're going to say yes. And then you're building a network. <laughs> yeah. A network is so important. And if you grew up first generation college students like us, you didn't have a network when you graduated. Mm -hmm. You didn't have mom or dad to call up so-and-so, you know, business friend and get you an internship. No. My mom, like, would, my mom would be like, who? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and plus, they probably wouldn't even do it. They <laughs> like, no, this is your life. You got to figure it out yourself. So that's those that network you're growing, you're yeah. building and and seeking mentorship like that's really important. And if you don't ask, you know, the worst thing they can say is no. Absolutely. But I guarantee and you're going to be in the not. same position that you're in before. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's my three pieces of advice for young okay. people. Last question is, who is Anna Valencia in your own words? That's so deep. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well. I think if my friends described me, I think they would say that I'm very kind. Mm -hmm. I'm a loving spirit. Mm -hmm. I'm also a warrior woman. Uh, yes. I'm a warrior <laughs> and I'm a warrior for my people. Yeah. Especially my little one. So don't mess with me. Mm -hmm. Don't mistake kindness for weakness. Absolutely. People tend to do that. <laughs> Saying. Um, and I am a servant of God. Like I really want to use 23 is a place to hear where God is calling me to be able to serve out uplifting communities that are often looked over mm -hmm. and empowering those communities and giving them the tools they need to empower themselves. Because often we always say like it's top-down approach. And yeah. I like to build policies from the ground up. That's why we did city keys and fines and fees reform mm -hmm. and making sure women and girls issues, the Pink New Deal and um, all the things that we're working on, city council modernization, first time we're ever doing electronic voting in the city, and the know, aldermen it's, it's hated me. It's crazy to watch. Uh. <laughs> but now you can see how your aldermen vote. It's yeah. about openness. Yeah. It's about accessibility to government. It's about all of that. Yeah. It's about people being civically engaged with their government and our young people being able to see what's going on and knowing that they, too, could be a city council member or a mm -hmm. mayor or a city clerk. And so I want to follow God's. Uh, where direction this yeah. year and and where to plant me to be able to do the most good. Well, let me say this: it has been um, one an honor being your friend. Oh, thank um, you. But it has been amazing to watch your journey and how intentional you are about bringing others into that journey. So, 
Thank you for coming and thank you for talking about your story today. Well, thank you. This is my, I'm going into my 38th year. My birthday is Monday. <laughs> and Happy birthday. Thank you. And again, you know, don't, to the young people listening, don't fret because it does take time yeah. to get where you and I are sitting. Mm -hmm. I used to think I was young at 38, but now, whoo. <laughs> you, you don't bounce back as quick. No, you don't I, bounce I saw, back I quick. I said the same thing the other day. And you're not <laughs> hip. I'm like, what artist am I going to say? So I am so honored to be your guest. Thank you for sharing my story. Yes. Along me to share it in my own words and um, I appreciate you and I'm excited to see what this year is going to bring for you too. Same. Thank you for joining in my own words. <laughs>